Good morning, everybody. My name is Chad, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you, uh, to spend time in God's Word together. I want to ask a question as we get started. Why do we come here? Just to think about it for a second. Um, My answer would be the same reason that you kept breathing all night long. And when you woke up this morning, kept breathing, you need oxygen. And we need the grace and the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's why we come to breathe in what is true, what is right. Um, But also we want to allow the Holy Spirit. And if you know anything about, you've heard the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, The Spirit is our down payment. Uh, If you have accepted Christ, deposited into your life, And he has a job, which is to help you understand the things of God, the things of Jesus, to teach you. And so as we're here this morning, we want to ask him. We want to ask him to teach us, to let what we are studying. We're in the Gospel of Luke. And as we've mentioned, we'll keep saying it. This was written to one individual, Theophilus, from Luke, who's a physician. He's a Gentile, and he had come to believe in Jesus, and he wanted his friend Theophilus to believe. And so he said, I'm writing this story down so that you can be sure. And so as he read, the Holy Spirit worked on his heart, and one thing led to another, and then we're sitting here in Monona, thousands of years later. That's kind of how it worked. And so we want to pray for God to do that this morning. So let's pray. Pray for God to wake up our hearts and our spirits, our bodies. I know we're tired. You know, it's just one of those things. You get to church and what are you? Tired and hungry. (laughs) It's just one of those things. And so we want the Lord to meet us and to minister to us. So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for uh, your presence with us. Lord, thank you that though there are hundreds of things on our minds this morning, very pressing things, big, huge, worldwide things, United States things and all the way down to family stuff and work and school and very personal things, Lord. Lots that could occupy our mind this morning. And we want to faithfully bring those things to you. We want you to teach us. God, as we open your word and we read a story that we've probably, many of us have heard before, would it be new? Would we hear your voice speaking to us and calling to us? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I also want to welcome everybody who's watching online or if you're watching later this week, we believe the Lord will meet you wherever you are, whatever time it is. Um, Maybe it's years from now and somebody has stumbled across this video. Hello from 2020. Um, (laughs) Jesus wants to meet with you today. Um, I was uh, recalled just during this time, I don't know if you feel it, like you feel this 2020 moment feels uh, pressing, feels intense. And a lot of what ifs and what's going to happen. And, and so I am drawn to the stories of believers who have lived through very difficult times. And Corrie ten Boom is one of those. A Dutch family lived in Harlem, Holland during World War II when the Germans came in with their Blitzkrieg and took over and started rounding up Jews and sending them off to concentration camps. You know the story we've heard many times. And her family, were they were followers of Jesus. And so they decided to hide Jews in their house. You can go there today. The the Ten Boom house is still owned by the Ten Boom family, the relatives, you know, distant relatives, and can see the hiding place where it was. But eventually they got caught and were sent to concentration camp. And everybody, except for Corey, they all died. 
in, in that journey uh, were killed because of their choice to follow Jesus and to hide Jews. And so Corey and her sister Betsy were standing naked in line to head into Ravensbrook concentration camp. And she had a New Testament in her hand like this. And she said, Lord, just let me get in with this. And at the moment she got to the guard, he turned and she slipped right past with that New Testament. And the story goes, as she writes in her book, The Hiding Place, highly recommend um, that while the world outside got worse and horrific and daily people were dying in front of them, at night in their barracks, as they gathered these women all around, they would read God's word and study God's word together. And she said, we were like waifs gathered around a fire, drawn to the light of God's word. And this was the part that struck, that stuck out to me, which I pray for, for my own reading of God's word. And when we study it, she said, it was as if it had just been written for us. The ink was still wet and God was speaking to us. That's what we want the Holy Spirit to do this morning. That's how we want to approach Luke's gospel. If you have your copy of God's word, uh, Luke chapter, hello, <laughs> Luke chapter five, verse one, uh, maybe a story you've heard, but may you hear it anew today. Here we go. Just three verses. We're going to jump in and get uh, a snapshot of what's happening. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus, this is people know him by now. And they're hearing what he's done and what he's about to do. And so they want to listen to him. And so they're pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He wasn't in the synagogue though. He was actually teaching down by the lake. Lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. So you always want to ask, why is Jesus where he is doing what he's doing and not doing it in the place we think he should do it? Don't you do that stuff in church? If you're going to talk about Jesus, don't you do it in church? He's like, no, let's take it down to the lake. So people are following him. So he sees two boats by the lake. The fishermen were done fishing, out, gone out of them and were washing their nets. That's code for, it was a bad night and they didn't catch anything and they're cleaning up and they're just putting stuff away. So they're tired, they're weary, probably a little ornery. And he gets into one of those boats, which was Simon Peter's. And he asks him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and then he teaches people. He taught the people from the boat. So I love fishing. I got a picture here from a couple weeks ago. Lake Winona, walleye. Everybody knows that feeling when you cast it out there and you're, you know, like you're so excited to pull in a fish and I'm not a great fisherman. I don't even go that often. I wouldn't say I love fishing. I would say I love catching fish, right? And I am that guy. You want to sell me a new lure today that you tell me is the greatest lure in the history of lures. And this thing moves more like a fish. This is like the original Jesus fish. Like it will catch fish. I'll be like, how much is it? Like I'm that guy, like way too much gear, you know, GPS, like all this. If I have all this stuff in, in my little boat, I'll catch something, right? And I don't very often, but I like to go out there and try. 
And, you know, sometimes it's fun, but what is the question if you're walking around Lake Winona or you're driving past on Huff, your eyes are supposed to be on the road, you see somebody standing right there at that spot, you know that spot, and they do this, like this, what do you do? Like you're about, you're about to, everybody looks, right? You want to look, and I've done that too, where I'm like looking, 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 come on, pull it up. Like I want to see, what did you catch? If you're walking by, you see somebody fishing. You may be, you can resist. You're walking past, you're walking past, you're like, catch anything? Isn't that the question? Did you catch anything? And if you're a fisherman and they answer and they're like, yeah, I mean, look at this. And they show you all this fish. What's the next question? What'd you use? What'd you, like, where did you get it? What did you use to get it? Like, it's this whole game and everybody does it. Even if you don't fish, you'll ask that first question, won't you? Catch anything? Nope. What if it's your livelihood though? What if it's something you have to do to live? I've been drawn into this uh, new show on the History Channel called Alone. And it is true surviving. It's not Bear Grylls with the full camera crew. I love Bear Grylls. It's not even Survivor Man where there's still other people helping out. These people get dropped off in Antarctica with a camera kit. And the latest one was who can last 100 days. So they've got to trap rabbits and sometimes they'll get big game. And so this guy got a moose. And so you're thinking for sure, the guy with the moose is going to make it all the way to the end. Here's the problem though. The moose had been working out. It was too lean and there wasn't fat on the moose. And so the guy's eating tons of moose meat and he is losing weight faster than he can eat. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, I need fat. You got to have fat. And he got it all mad because this Wolverine stole his fat. And, you know, it's like, I'm totally hooked. But there's one animal that when it gets the dead of winter, that will give them fat and it's fish. And so you see them and they're not out there like, hey, this is fun. There's this one girl watching her last couple of days and she hadn't eaten for a couple of days. She's lost like 50 pounds. They come in with med checks. And if you're not doing well, if your body's eating itself, they say, hey, we're pulling you out of the contest. And they weep and they cry. I've made it all this way. So she's there and she is, she is needing a fish. She catches a fish. She, Lisa was sitting in the background watching with me. She literally is on the ice, just crying her eyes out. So happy. She's like, ah! holding this fish up. I can't believe, I can't believe I caught, I finally caught a fish. Like it's, it's why? Because it's life and death. And she's like, this will feed me for 10 days. And it has fat and it's what I need to survive. The difference between me kind of messing around in Lake Winona, somebody on alone gets a little closer to what's happening with Peter and Andrew. They don't do this for a hobby it's life and death. Like they have to catch fish to make a living, to live. And so if you see them and they haven't caught anything, it's bad. It's not a good deal. So they're probably in a bad mood. That's my takeaway. Washing their nets, haven't caught anything. These guys are in a bad mood. And so it's in this place of not catching fish, of needing to catch fish. Jesus says, we're bringing church to you, boys. We're bringing church to you. And this is one of the things I want you to get, the heart of the gospel. Because here's the thing. If you're a fisherman and you're that kind of person back then, guess where you don't usually go? Synagogue. You don't sit around, chew the fat on some theological topic. 
oh, let's talk about this. No, they're like, I got to go fishing. I got to get stuff for my family. So they need to catch fish. They want to catch fish. They're tired. They're frustrated. They're probably in debt. They're living under Roman occupation. It's not a great situation. They didn't vote in Caesar, Pontius Pilate. They're over it. Just over it. That's the the situation. They just worked the late shift, toiled all night, came back with nothing. Now there's a crowd here and they're not working. They're pressing in. They want to listen to God and the fishermen. They're close to the teaching, but they're not. They're like, listen, I got to work. I'm not going to be all pressing in with you, Jesus. I'm gonna, I, got a, I got a living to make here. I'm kind of interested in you. I'm kind of interested in what you have to say. Now, a legalistic kind of religious rule about this would say, you better get to church. If you don't get to church, well, you're going to get in trouble. You know what Jesus says? He says, I'll come to you. I'll come into your world, into your stuff. Jesus does something miraculous even before the miracle that we're going to see. He invades their space without being asked. Just shows up and has the audacity to ask the fishermen if he can use their boat. He asks for their stuff. Jesus, you are breaking the separation of church and life rule. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to do it. There's this amazing and magnificent tension in scripture. And it's this, the difference between God saying, follow me and him on the other side with these supernatural strings that he's going and he's pulling you. That's happening right here. There's follow me, listen to me, listen to my teaching. And then there's God stepping into their world. And so the question you need to ask is why is he asking for the boat? Why is he stepping into their stuff? Why doesn't he just wait for these fishermen to get a clue and come to synagogue and listen to him? And the answer will unfold more as we read the story, but I want to give you a clue because it's the heart of the gospel. Jesus asks for a boat, not just any boat. He wants Peter's boat. He wants Peter's boat. Why? So he could be in the same boat. That phrase, I looked it up. Uh, In the same boat, the etymology of that phrase comes from the 1500s and somebody wrote it down. But I love this. It means to suffer the same fate or circumstances. We use it like, oh, I'm in the same boat as so-and-so. I'm suffering the same fate or circumstances. I think it perfectly describes Jesus and his gospel. He comes to us. He doesn't say, get up here. Make your way to me, do enough, live a good enough life, get rid of your sin, live at least three days maybe without sinning, and then maybe you can come close. It's not what he does. He comes to us. He jumps down into our boat, into our lives, into the dirt, into our workplace, into our home, into our sin and the mess that we've made. And he says, hey, I'm here to be with you, to share your fate and to take it from you. I want to take your fate from you. So the outer shell of the story says that Jesus just needed a boat. He just needed a little bit of help and wants to like be able to kind of have his word, his voice spread a little bit more over the water. So I'll get spread out. People are pressing in on me too much. Look, hey, there's a boat right here. I want to use yours. That's the outside stuff. But the more we watch Jesus at work, we will learn that he has several billion strategies going on at once. How many people are in the world right now? 
eight billion, somewhere in there? Is that about right? Eight billion strategies. Oh, and by the way, it's more than just the people. He's also sustaining the very world that you're living in, the intricate and complex processes of your body right now, the solar system, the galaxy, gravity, the ratio of oxygen and nitrogen in our atmosphere, you know, small stuff containing and feeding all the fish in his aquarium, also known as the Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, Mediterranean. I mean, it's just like, okay, what's next? Like he does this stuff without thinking. He's upholding all things by the word of his power, but he's after hearts. And so when you read Jesus needed a boat, you need to think, no, he didn't. He is doing a billion things right now. His strategy is crazy. And so the moment and the circumstances surrounding this, not coincidental, the individual he chooses, not by chance. He's in this boat. He wants this guy. Why? This guy will be a key figure in the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ across the centuries. What happens in this story will eventually result in you sitting in a seat on October 18th, 2020 in Winona, Minnesota, actually considering that this whole Jesus thing might be real. Oh, that's a little bit bigger than just needing a boat for a moment, isn't it? That's Jesus at work. And so how does Peter respond? Hey, can I use your boat? Peter's like, well, I'm not catching fish, so somebody better use it. Might as well go ahead. This isn't Simon Peter's first encounter with Jesus. He's familiar with Jesus a little bit, not too familiar to stay pressing in with him and teaching, but he's close. Jesus is breaking norms here by coming into his workplace. He's in his boat. And let me tell you, he intends to get into his home. He intends to get into his conversations. He intends to get into his money, his marriage, his head, and his heart. That's the strategy that's going on. So let's watch what happens. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, Let's put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, this is like you walking up to a professional fisherman at a bass tournament who's like got this $90,000 bass boat, about 15 rods on there, bait casters, spinning reels, all the latest, greatest stuff. And you walk up with a cane pole and a bobber and a hook and some worms and say, hey, think about trying this today? He'd be like, uh, no, that's almost what's happening here. Jesus is the rabbi. He's not a fisherman. So when he turns to Peter and says, hey, put out into the deep, let down your nets for catch. Simon answered, master, we toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, fine, whatever. I'll let down your nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Now, you can't say it like that. You have to say, they caught so many fish. They caught so many fish. They're going crazy. And the nets are breaking. They signaled to James and John and Zebedee, their father, said, help us. It's sinking. The boats are sinking. They fill both boats. And Peter's, oh my goodness. So when he had finished speaking, Jesus didn't get out of the boat and said, hey, man, thanks so much for letting me use your stuff. I'll be moving on from here. Uh-uh. 
Jesus is doing a billion things at once. So Jesus is in the boat, and what he does after he finishes speaking is go, click, 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 Hey, put out into the deep. Let down your net. Peter doesn't like this, obviously, but I think he has enough respect, they usually did, for a rabbi. And hey, he's a fisherman. Rabbis don't even usually talk to them. And so maybe there's enough respect to say, you know what? I'll do it. He doesn't know what he's saying, but even if he's wrong, I can show this honor and respect for him. But what you have to do when you see somebody like Peter who's complaining a little bit and then doing it is realize, remember that tension? Follow me. Pulling. Jesus is pulling. He's supernaturally working on Peter's heart, moving him to respond. Peter's responding. The creator of the universe knew the moment and the man and that this was the time to get him. We fished all night. We didn't catch a thing. Listen, I went to all my secret fishing spots. I fished this place for 20 years, but okay, I'll do what you say. Now, I asked the uh, producers of The Chosen if we could show uh, clips of this scene, and they said yes. Um, I want to encourage you, if you have not seen The Chosen, go to thechosen.tv. You can pretty much see all of the first eight episodes now. They're filming other ones. This thing's going around the world. It's magnificent. But let, let me show you what I just described, because they do a better job than me. Watch. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. Push it, 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 push it,
what the text says. Boat sinking. Nets breaking, boats sinking. We see the amazing power of Jesus on display here. And by the way, that's easy for him. That's easy for him. I want you to imagine the creator of the universe sometime in eternity past with the Trinity in the throne room with thousands of designs of fish on the wall. We have over 30,000 species that we know of in our oceans and lakes and rivers. So imagine the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, like, look at this one, putting it up on the wall. That is who is speaking here. He knows the ins and outs of what draws a fish to food. When, why they hang around choke points, drop-offs, shallow water versus deep, warm water versus cold water rainy days versus sunny, when there's slight movement, vibrations in the water, when they choose cover, when they go to open water, all of it. He knows it because he made it. He created those impulses and instincts in fish. But here's where it gets fun. And God's word should do this to you. It should cause you to go deeper. The Holy Spirit will move you to a place of wonder, which is what happens with Peter, and here's the question. Do you think the fish know who Jesus is? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes more so than we do. Last week, Carl pointed this out in the text where the demons know who Jesus is. They call his name out. They give the specific title so much so that he tells them to be quiet. He has placed within creation, in the animals and for sure in you, this built-in understanding that he is the true king. He is the creator. The same way that your lungs only run on oxygen, creation runs on the lifeblood given by the God who created it. Scripture tells us that creation also knows that things are broken. It says creation longs for and yearns for the return of the king to make things right. But with that, creation knows his voice. So while Jesus could have taken Simon and Andrew out to this super secret spot, and the Sea of Galilee is huge, it's huge. He could have said, go here, no, no, a little bit more, a little bit more, all right, right here. And they're like, we've never fished here before. And he's like, I know, they're all down there. He could have taken them to some secret spot and done the miracle that way. Instead, he just speaks to his creation. Maybe in that moment, he recalls the design session between the Trinity and how they came up with that fish, that design of the fish. And when he spoke it into being, and in this moment, creation responds, it has to. And when he speaks, scripture tells us that mountains quake and trees skip like calves and fish swim faster than they ever have before at the sound of their creator. And man-made nets fill up 
and they begin to break, and man-made boats tip and rock and begin to sink because he cannot be contained. I think the clip from The Chosen is spot on in the initial skepticism of Peter. My favorite point, uh, moment in that clip is when Peter goes, hmm. And Jesus looks right back at him and goes, hmm. I think prayer is a lot like that, honestly. Because even as he asked him to put out into the deep, I imagine Jesus asking me to pray. Because I think, is it really going to do anything? Is it really going to work? Put out into the deep. Jesus wants us to bring our hmm to him and to watch what he will do. And what is he doing here? Did he just need a boat to talk? What is the underlying mission and motive for Jesus to do this miracle? I think it's crystal clear. Jesus is fishing. Not Peter, not Andrew. Jesus is fishing. He is going after hearts. The miracle leads to a person. And that's a key thing in scripture. When you see miracles, it's never about the miracle. It's always to lead to somebody's heart to get them, to move in them. I know a lot of people say, man, if we could just see miracles on the streets, if we could fill stadiums with people and somebody could walk up and you could see somebody who obviously has some sort of ailment that needs to be healed or fixed. And if Christians could pray and see God heal them, then people would follow him. No, that is not what scripture says. Scripture says greater things than these you will see. You know what I think the greater thing is? What is the greatest miracle ever? It's when a human heart, dead, turns to Jesus. That is the greatest miracle. To change from death to life into eternity. Jesus is fishing. As the nets fill and begin to break, and as the boat tips and begins to sink, there's a heart that is filling to the point of breaking and tipping to the point of sinking. And that is Peter. Look at verse eight. When Simon Peter saw it, so Simon Peter, calloused hands. The chosen, I think, does a great job. The first scene you see Peter, he's fighting somebody. Just, you know, we know Peter put his foot in his mouth so many times, just big mouth, making mistakes. Just, I, just, I just picture him as just this like, kind of guy. And I relate to him really well especially with the putting foot in my mouth thing, saying things I shouldn't say. So that guy, Simon Peter sees this and he falls down. He fell down at Jesus' knees. What is happening? And he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Not I've done some things. I am sinful. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men, catching people. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's a real clue right there, verse 11, that this wasn't the first time they'd met Jesus. Okay, they started to listen to him. Like there's a relationship been building this was the moment, though, that it happened, that they decided to leave their life. The real miracle here isn't the fish. That's not the miracle. The miracle is the one fish that Jesus is getting. It's Peter. He's the miracle. I think it's significant um, and maybe obvious to you, but notice that Peter 
doesn't really care about the fish. Like we know this because in Capernaum, there was no historical record of James, John, Peter, and Andrew starting up a new fish shop called Miraculous Fish. Okay, they didn't see this as the key to their business booming. They saw this as the key to leaving their life behind and following Jesus. He doesn't look at the fish. He immediately turns to look at Jesus. Let me watch this. My brother and the baptizer. You are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. I will. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. I cry every time I see it. I love it. Um, the point in that scene that uh, just struck me is we've prayed for you our whole lives. You are the Lamb of God. No? I am. Just stunning. And then moved to follow. I can almost hear the thoughts of the Savior of the world at this moment looking up to heaven. Here's Peter on his knees, and I can see Jesus looking up saying, got him. Father, we got him. And we all say, nice catch, Jesus. Nice catch. How Peter responds is critical. He doesn't say, I kind of like you. You're loving. You're kind. You say nice things. I can fit you in on Sunday for an hour. Doesn't say that. He falls down and he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. This is 
consistent with the whole of scripture. Anyone who comes into God's presence, whenever they see him, they feel like they're going to die. Not because he's angry or mean, because he is holy and so other in our corrupt Sinful natures cannot survive without help. That's why they say, get away. I'm going to die if you don't. But I love it. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. His awareness of his sin is why he's afraid. And not just the sins that he can recall from the last few days or weeks, or maybe that one sin that has been nagging him and you for your whole life. He is aware of sinfulness, that he is producing sin on a regular basis. It's who he is. When you get that, when you understand that's why you feel like you're going to die, it's your nature reacting to his nature, your finiteness reacting to his infiniteness. It's the same thing that happens when you accidentally grab onto something blazing hot from the stove or you get your hand too close to a flame. What do you do? (gasps) You pull back because that doesn't work. Your flesh knows it will melt. It will get burned. It will get destroyed. You pull back. God's built that in. It's the same thing with your sinful nature. You get in God's presence and you know, unless he does something about this, I will be destroyed. Jesus finishes the sentence, though, with something amazing. He doesn't just say, you're okay now, you're not going to die. He says, not only are you okay, don't be afraid, but I am putting you into my mission for the world. You're going to be catching people from now on. That's what I can do. That's what I want you to do. And honestly, that is, to me, it's the easiest definition of why we're still here. When you accepted Christ, why didn't you go to heaven? Right then. Out. Got another one? Why can we not just sit around and say, well, I've got my fire insurance. I'll be fine because we're on mission. And God says those who belong to him, not only know that it's their own life and breath, but the ability to share it with others and to tell others is key. Peter from this moment belongs to the Lord Jesus. No doubt about it. And it says in the text from that moment, they left everything and followed him. There will be ups, there will be downs, there will be moments of doubt, even denial, but he will not walk away from Jesus because once you know who he is, once you have become his child, hear me, you cannot walk away. It is impossible. Now I'm aware there are stories of people who would say they used to follow Jesus, they used to be a Christian, some of them are famous, some of them write books, And they say, but I decided it was too judgy and too this or that. And the church has failed me so much. So I've decided to walk away from Christianity. The Bible tells us what that is. Impossible. Impossible. And actually one of the verses to describe it, it says they left us because they were not of us. You can't give up something you never had. Chad, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? For 2020. Jesus said it, Matthew 7, 7, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, on the day of judgment will enter. There will be people at the final judgment who were in church, who were ministering in Jesus' name, who taught, who did all the religious stuff. And then Jesus will look at them and say, I don't know you. 
There are people that will think they're apart, but aren't. May this not be your story. May this not be your story. If you hear his spirit calling to you today, asking to use your boat to be in your life, to be in your world, even if you're a little skeptical like Peter, let him in. Let him in. And realize that when you do, he is fishing for you. He's fishing for your heart and your mind, for your life and for those you love, even for those you think you hate, your enemies. That's why you're here. He is after you. You know, we love to tell fishing stories. I showed you guys my picture because our creator loves to tell them. Has he told yours? Has he told yours? I can hear him maybe talking about you, telling saints and angels in heaven, maybe even Peter, who he would say, hey, remember that day we caught all those fish? Let me tell you about one I caught on Sunday, October 18th, 2020, in this little river town called Winona, Minnesota. He loves to tell fishing stories and he wants to tell yours today. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Will you pray with me? Lord, I was just so stunned by you. I love the portrayal of you in that, those two scenes. Most enjoyable, I think, was the look of joy on your face as you were performing the miracle. And Lord, I think that's, that seems accurate. That seems to be the kind of person you were and the joy. But Lord, also the very serious note of this is a crucial decision. You must follow me. So God, anybody who is here today, who is hearing you call them and say, it's time I just invite you to, in your own words and in the quietness of this place, in your heart, or if you're listening online, to say, Lord, I hear you. And I am a sinful man or woman. That's all I can produce. And I don't deserve to be near you. But I am sensing your call and your love on my life right now. I'm so sick of my sin. I'm so sick of it. It weighs me down. It burdens me this morning. Will you take it from me? Lord Jesus, I accept your perfect life, your death, your resurrection, and your eventual return as my everything. I will follow you. I believe, Lord. I receive now your Holy Spirit. I wanna live for you. God, you can have it all. My whole world, my whole life, it's yours. I wanna thank you for the simple beautiful truth for those who prayed that in faith that they are sealed they are kept 
There's a seat at the table for them, the great wedding supper of the Lamb. We bless you, Jesus. We ask for you to move in our hearts now as we worship together. In Christ's name, amen. Why don't we stand and sing?